Welcome to the Good Old Days of Radio Show. This is John Tefteller, your host. It is Thursday, and we are up to the last of our salute to the great Lucille Fletcher, the famous radio writer of horror and suspense plays all throughout the 1940s, I think started in the late 30s. We've had nine other programs. We have one last one for you this week. It's called Dark Journey, uh, starring two great radio voices, Kathy Lewis and Nancy Kelly. It's an episode of Suspense from April 25th, 1946. And special note here, um, when we come to the end of today's uh, Lucille Fletcher program, do not just turn off your sound and go away. Because when we finish our Lucille Fletcher program today, as promised, as teased, etc., we will have the actual voice of Lucille Fletcher talking about writing these programs for suspense in the Columbia Workshop, etc. So you don't want to miss that. You don't want to turn it off early. Special guest Don Remlow, do you know anything you want to say about this one before we play it, or do you have comments for later, or what are we doing? I have comments when we get to the end of the show. Let's go ahead and let our, <laughs> our listeners hear the program. Okay, comments at the end of the show. In the meantime, here it is. Now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Roma Wines present... Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Miss Nancy Kelly and Miss Kathy Lewis in Dark Journey, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness and entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant, as Roma Wines bring you Nancy Kelly and Kathy Lewis in the premiere of Lucille Fletcher's radio play for two actresses, Dark Journey. Tonight's study in... Suspense! Today I am going on a journey. I am going to see Anne Brody again after 15 years. When the news came yesterday, terrible as it was, it was as though a shadow had lifted from my life, a secret horror that I could never quite forget. I have been afraid of Anne Brody now for 15 years, but there is no need to be afraid of her anymore. Anne's secret has been locked in my heart together with all shameful, horrible things. Yet I've never gone on a journey like this one but what it comes back. There have been times when I couldn't bear the whistle of a train flung out long and mournful over the lonely countryside. I couldn't bear the smell of a day coach, the feel of the plush seats, the rattle and bustle. Only because everything came back. Every detail of that long and terrible weekend we spent together 15 years ago. All aboard! 
Thank goodness. I don't think anybody saw us, do you? No. Uh -uh. Only old Mr. Hodges, the station master, and he's no gossip. I wouldn't want anybody to know. Not that I care, but you know how the tongues wag in this town. Well, it's much better to be perfectly sure of your plans before you pass the word around. Then if you and Clyde don't settle things, well, nobody will be any the wiser. <laughs> if we don't settle things? Well, there's no if about it. But Clyde and I are practically engaged. Did you get his letter yet about us coming to New York? Uh-huh. Well, for goodness sake, why didn't you tell me? What'd he say? Oh, nothing much. He's he's no letter writer, just that he was glad and that he's been busy and he's going to call us at the hotel. Oh? He can't meet us at the train? No. Uh, it seems it's his mother's birthday and he promised to take her to lunch in town. We'll be getting in just around that time. He's terribly devoted to her, you know, has been ever since his father died. Oh, I see. You're very much in love with him, aren't you, Anne? Terribly. Yet you really see him so little. How long has it been now? Three months? Three months and six days. But it doesn't really matter. No. I know Clyde loves me and I love him. There's a bond between us and nothing will ever break it. Well, as long as you feel that way, it's a wonderful way to feel. But I don't think you ought to let it drag on like this much longer, Anne. I really don't. <laughs> don't worry. We'll settle it this time once and for all. You'll see... When we get on this train again, I'll be wearing his engagement ring on my finger. Oh, doesn't anybody ever open a hotel window? Three o'clock. I thought he'd have called me by now. No, he's probably tied up with his mother. Come on, let's go down to the drugstore and have a sandwich. Aren't you just starved? No, no, I, I don't feel hungry. You go, though. I'll wait. Oh, come on. The clerk will take the message for no, you. No, no, I, I want to be here myself. Why don't you call him? I can't if he's at a restaurant. Well, maybe he didn't go. Maybe he's home, sick, or, or at the office. No, no, it, it wouldn't look right. He's got to call me. I... I, I don't know why he doesn't. I don't know why either. In fact, why couldn't we all have had lunch together at that restaurant? I mean, he, he's not exactly poor, is he? Uh, don't you want to take a bus ride or see the sights or anything? Later, Alice. After he's called. Hello? Yes? Oh, yes, this is Miss Ann Brody. What? He, he left a message. Oh... Thank you. What is it? He stopped by and left a message. He has a previous engagement. A previous engagement when he knew I was coming to New York this weekend only to see him. Well, maybe it was something he couldn't get out of, maybe on account of his mother's But he birth. already gave her today. And after all he knew I was coming, he knew I'd want to be with him every possible minute. Well, maybe that's the trouble, Anne. Maybe he doesn't want to be pinned down. Maybe you expect too much. That he was right here in the hotel and he didn't even... Oh, he's grown away from me. He's not mine anymore. Alice, Alice, you know what Clyde has meant to me these three years, how I've lived for him and worshipped him. It's... Oh, it's just as though my, my world had been cut away. It's like... It's like having a lump of ice for a heart. Alice, Clyde is my heart. Oh, I, I've got to see him. I've got to tell him. Oh, Anne. Dear, wouldn't you like to lie down? No, no, I can't lie down. I'm going to sit here in, in this chair by the window. I wish you'd go, Alice. I want to be quiet. 
and think and think about him. And I wouldn't. Something's happened to him. There's some barrier. I've got to wish it away, to break it down. What are you talking about? I can do it, you know. Anne? Please go. Please. Don't tell me it's nine o'clock. I didn't mean to sleep so late. We better get up and get breakfast. Alice. Alice, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? He hasn't called me. I haven't slept. Why don't you call him, Anne? Call him and have it out with him once and for no, all. No, no, I, I couldn't. Well, maybe there's something bothering him. Maybe it's some family situation. After all, his mother didn't have lunch with you yesterday. Maybe, the, maybe there was a reason. What reason could there be except that she didn't want to meet me? She doesn't want him to marry anybody. She wants him all to herself. Well, isn't that enough to upset any fellow? Oh, come on. We'll get to the bottom of this thing. What's his number? I'll get it for you. I... I haven't his number. I never called him at home. But his address is 3254 Sunset Drive, Riverdale, New York. 3254 Sunset Drive, Riverdale, New York. Hello. Uh, hello, operator. This is room 351. We want to put in a call to Riverdale, New York. Uh, 3254 Sunset Drive, Riverdale, New York. Uh, the name is Dexter. Mr. Clyde Dexter. Will you get it for us, please? What did she say? She's looking it up. Uh, there it is. She's ringing. Here, you better take it now. Oh, no. No, just one minute. One minute. Let me get my breath. Let me think of what I'm going to say. Hello? Is this the Dexter residence? This is Miss Ann Brody speaking. I wonder if I might speak to Mr. Clyde Dexter, please. Thank you. Clyde? Oh, Clyde, this is Anne. Oh, I'm, I'm fine, thank you. Oh, Clyde, I've been waiting here at the hotel for you to call, and Alice and I have to spend the morning out, and we thought we'd better let you know we wouldn't be in just in case you wanted... Oh, yes, Clyde, I, I know you said you had a previous engagement, but I thought... Well, you see, Clyde, I'm only going to be here today, and we get to see each other so little, I was wondering... What's that, Clyde? Yes? Yes? When, no, I, I didn't. What did you say, Clyde? I, I didn't understand. You what? You... Oh, Clyde. Oh, Clyde, it's not true. It, it can't be. But, Clyde, we... But, Clyde, you can't do this to me. I've, I've considered myself engaged to Anne, you. I... Anne, give me that phone. No, oh, no, I just want to say goodbye to him, please. No. Anne, don't, don't look that way. What did he say? He, he told me he's engaged to marry a New York girl this September. Oh, Anne. Well, he, he just isn't worthy of you. He couldn't have been if he treats you like this now. I love him. I love him. I love him till the day I die. <laughs> Anne, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm... Oh, please, Alice, please, don't talk. Don't come near me or go away, will you, just for a little while? Oh, no, I won't leave you. I can't leave you when, when you look like oh, that. Oh, go away, I said. How do you hear me? Go away. I want to be alone. I want you to go away. I, I have work to do work to do. I'm, I'm going to will him to come back to me. 
I'm going to make him come to this hotel through heaven and hell. And they're dragging him away from me. Oh, Anne. I can do it. I've done it before. I've made him write to me. I've made him call me up out of a clear sky after months and months. I willed him to speak to me the very first time I saw him when he was just a stranger. I willed him to give me his fraternity pin last year at the spring dance, and I can do it. I can do it. If only I try hard enough, and and if you're absolutely quiet. Clyde. Clyde. It's no use. He's too far away. I'll have to come closer to him. We're going out. Going out? Where to? To Riverdale. Riverdale? I want to look at his house to see where he lives. There's something there. Someone who's holding him back. Anne, let's go back to Denford. Let's take a train tonight, any train, and get out of here for good. No, I can't go home. I told you that before. I can't until I have his engagement ring on my finger. For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Nancy Kelly and Kathy Lewis in Dark Journey by Lucille Fletcher. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Between the acts, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines with a little domestic drama. It's happened to you before and will happen again. You're relaxed in your easy chair, coat off, contentedly reading your evening paper. Your wife is probably tidying up after dinner. The doorbell rings. Sure enough, it's guests who just dropped in. Now, famed hostess Elsa Maxwell tells us how she handles these surprise visits. She says, I always keep Roma California Sherry on hand to welcome unexpected guests. Serving Roma Sherry is so simple... You just pour and hospitality reigns. And because Roma is America's favorite wine, you know your guests will enjoy it. Yes, there's no easier way to gain a reputation for gracious hospitality than by keeping Roma sherry ready for guests. And Roma, America's taste favorite, the wine more Americans prefer, costs no more than ordinary wines. So make a note to get mellow, golden amber Roma Sherry tomorrow. Once you try the tempting fragrance and intriguing nut-like taste of Roma Sherry, you'll always ask for Roma. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Remember, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. And now Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Kathy Lewis as Alice and Nancy Kelly as Anne in Dark Journey. A play well calculated to keep you in suspense. It's getting dark. I don't think we ought to be wandering around here like this. There might be strange men. Here's the street. Sunset Drive. And there's the house. I've seen pictures of it. I'd I'd know it anywhere. Anyway. Oh, Anne, please. This is doing you no good. Oh, hush. I've dreamed about that house, dreamed of myself and him living in it together. I've dreamed of our children playing on that lawn and the sound of music inside and our car standing outside. 
But it wouldn't mean a thing to you, Anne, if Clyde didn't love I've you. I've dreamed of the years we'd spend together. <laughs> I even named the children. Clyde Jr. and Peter and Charlotte. That's his mother's name. I never liked it, but I was going to call one child that just to please him. And now, what have I got? Nothing. Nothing. It's gone. Come on. Come on with me, Anne. <laughs> oh, there's a light going on upstairs. Do you suppose it's his room? I wonder if he's home. Clyde. Clyde. Think of me. Come back to me. Oh, love me, Clyde. Love me. Love me! Don't, Anne, don't. Somebody might hear you. Oh, there's a shadow at the window. Oh, it's Clyde. Oh, no. No, it's someone else. It's a woman. A gray-haired woman. Oh, it's his mother, Alice. Clyde's mother. I don't think he's home, Anne. Let's go back to the hotel. No. No, I want to see her. I've heard so much about her. She always turned her nose up at me. He never admitted it, but I knew. He was the only son, and she thought there wasn't anybody good enough. And, and he was always under her influence, just believed everything she said. I could tell the way he talked. It was always mother says this and mother says that. I bet it was she who turned him against me who picked out that, that New York girl. Oh, Anne, please, come on. You're just tearing your heart she's out. She's up in his room now. She's straightening his things. She's happy up there. She doesn't care that she's made me miserable. Oh, I can feel it now, Alice. I can feel the barrier in my heart. Anne, shh. Somebody's coming. Let's go. We're doing no harm. We can stare, can't we, if we wish? Come on. Come on, we'll walk past the house. We'll defy her. We'll go up and ring the bell, and, and then when she comes down to answer it, we'll ask, Is Mrs. Clyde Dexter at home? And then when she asks us who we mean, we'll laugh at her face. Oh, Anne, you're, you're just beside <laughs> yes, yourself. Yes, I am. I am beside myself because I feel it, Alice. He's lost to me as long as she's up there. Oh, I can stand here, out here under the trees, trying to reach him with every bit of soul I possess, but as long as she's there... As long as she's alive, he'll never be mine again. This is terrible. You've got to pull yourself together and get some rest. You've been sitting in that chair now for three hours. Please, don't talk. Just let me alone. You're... You're working on that willpower thing still, aren't you, Anne? Anne, it, it makes me awfully nervous. Be quiet. It's coming. Something's coming. Something's going to happen. I feel it all around me. I'm going to get a doctor if you don't stop. Shh. I feel it. I feel something. Well, you're just as white as a sheet. You're shaking all over. I absolutely refuse to let this go on, do you hear? Now, you, you get into bed. No. Let me take off no, your shoes. No, no, no. Leave me alone. It's as though there were a big lump being moved off my heart. As though the ice inside me were going. As though I, I could cry at last. Oh, it's happened. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you. All right. I'll lie down now. I'll go to sleep. If you could sleep, you'd feel better. If you just relax. I've done it, Alice. You'll see. He'll be here in the morning. 
You lie down now. There he is. Didn't I tell you? There's Clyde now. Hello? Yes. Yes, this is room 351. Yes, this is Ann Brody speaking. Yes. It's Riverdale calling. Riverdale. Clyde? She didn't say. Oh. Hello? Yes. Yes, I'm Ann Brody. Why, yes, I'm a friend of Mr. Clyde Dexter. Who did you say this is, please? The police. The police? Oh, something hasn't happened to Mr. Dexter, has it? Oh. What? Yes. Yes, my friend and I were out to the house late this afternoon, around six o'clock. Well, yes, I, I did wear a white hat and a green dress, and, and she... W oh, but we took the subway, the White Plains Express, on the Interborough Line from our hotel. We came back around seven. We, well, we just walked past the house two or three times, but... Well, what's the matter? Why are you asking me these questions? No, I haven't seen them. I... What? Give me the phone and let me speak to them. You're in no condition Keep to away. Do you know what they're saying? Do you? That Clyde's mother has been murdered. What? Oh, no. No, I haven't. Yes? No. No, we didn't. We just came right home. We didn't even ring the bell. Is Mixed Destica there with you? I see. Well, I'd like to speak to him, please, when he gets through. Will you ask him to call me? Yes. We'll stay here in the room. Oh, Anne. It was a hammer. At 8 o'clock tonight. She was struck from behind by an unknown assailant. Oh, how awful. Well, why did the police call us? What have we got to do with it? Clyde was home when we walked by the house. He saw us standing there. I'm going to tell him, Alice. I'm going to tell him the truth. Truth? What truth? There's always been that power inside me. I've known I had it, and sometimes it frightened me. Things have happened. I've been afraid sometimes to use it, afraid it would turn against me. And tonight it did turn against me. And what do you mean? By an unknown assailant. Murdered by an unknown assailant. Do you know who that assailant was? It was me. Anne, are you crazy? You, you were up here in, in the room every minute. I was up here in the room, but I was wishing she were dead. I was willing him to come to me. I was trying to destroy the barrier. Surely you can't believe that, Anne. It was, it was only a coincidence, a terrible coincidence. I was trying to bring him back, to touch his heart, but the power didn't touch his heart. His heart's like steel against me. It struck his heart and glanced off and struck her dead. Anne, please, you're talking like a oh, lunatic. But you don't understand. People like you can understand. People like you... But there's violence to will. To store it up takes years. To send it out of yourself is like, like sending a powerful hand with fingers. Will can't kill somebody, Anne. Not pure will. The body is one thing... The mind's another. Mrs. Dexter is physically dead. Her heart stopped beating. There was a blow. Somebody real, somebody human did that. She was struck from behind. She was alone in the house. They said the doors were locked. She had no enemies. It came out of nothing, and it went away again. Oh, I, I never dreamed. I didn't want it to happen that way, but, but it's getting beyond me. It's assuming forms and accomplishing ends I don't plan. It's, it's turning against me, Alice turning against me. Do you think a police court will believe you? 
You'll only confuse the testimony. You'll only hurt Clyde. Will. Will, you talk about the power of your will. Did you have any real power these last two days? Did it bring Clyde to this hotel? Did it make him love you or even call you up? Yes. 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 Don't you touch it. I won't let you speak to him. Get away from that phone, Alice. Do you want to get us in trouble? Do you want us to go to jail and spend weeks in court? He'd put you there. He wouldn't care. Get away from that phone, Alice. I don't believe you, do you hear? I think you're mad. You're mad as a hatter. Get away from that phone. No! Anne, you'll ruin your life. You'll fall into suspicion, and people will always think you had something really to do with it. You'll, you'll end up in an asylum. The whole world will know he jilted you. What, what are you going to say to him? He must be half beside himself as it is. He'll, he'll never believe you. What? All right. Thank you, Alice. You see? It is there, isn't it? I made you do what I wanted. And I can make anyone. Hello? Hello, Clyde. Oh, Clyde, darling, I just heard the terrible news. How terrible for you. I'm so sorry. Yes, Alice and I were out there this afternoon. We came by to say hello, but we got cold feet and came home. No, Clyde, no, we didn't, not a soul. Oh, yes, my darling, I, I understand how terribly broken up and, and my heart goes out to you. Oh, I will, Clyde, dearest, I will. I'll be right over. I'll help you in any way I know. Goodbye, Clyde. Anne, you didn't tell him. You're not going to tell him at all. No. Why should I? He's mine now. And so Anne Brody walked out of my life. Walked from me wrapped in her new and terrible strangeness. Somehow I didn't want to play any part in her life again. I didn't go to her wedding when she and Clyde were married one year later. To me, there would have been something evil in hearing her voice repeat the sacred words. I am. Take thee, Clyde. There has been for me a nameless horror in the slow, steady way Anne Brody fulfilled her plans. The house in Riverdale, the car, the three children, Peter, Clyde Jr., and Charlotte. Her happiness... Her triumphant motherhood have somehow been hideous to me. I've never heard a train whistle crying through the dawn but what I've thought of her and shuddered. I have been afraid of Anne Brody now for 15 years. Today, I know I've been a fool. Today I know that it was a real murderer who murdered Mrs. Dexter with a hammer from the service porch. Today I'm going on a journey to Riverdale. I am going to see Anne Brody again, lying willless and struck down in her coffin. Lying innocent and pathetic. Lying murdered. Not will nor nameless monsters of the mind could save her from the truth at last. 
Yesterday afternoon, the weak, long, brooding creature who could not brook domination from mother or wife flung pent-up death against the mistress of his will. Yesterday afternoon, Clyde Dexter struck again. Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines with a tip on how to win praise and increase dining pleasure. Today, millions of clever homemakers are enjoying dinner table compliments by giving everyday dishes tempting new meal appeal. Here's the secret. A glass of red Roma California Burgundy at each place. Try it yourself. Serve robust Roma Burgundy with tomorrow night's piping hot savory pot roast, tender juicy steak, or baked fish. Roma Burgundy brings out tasty new flavorfulness from every morsel, wins grateful compliments for your cooking, and notice how the warm glowing redness of Roma Burgundy adds richness and beauty to your table. Yet the gracious custom of serving Roma, America's favorite wine, is as inexpensive as it is delightful. Enjoy exciting new dining pleasure tomorrow with delicious Roma Burgundy. Insist on Roma, R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is Nancy Kelly. I'm sure you want to hear next Thursday's suspense when Joseph Cotton will star as a famous New York criminal lawyer in one of the best-known suspense stories of our time. Ben Hecht's Crime Without Passion. Thank you. Nancy Kelly will soon be seen in the Paramount picture, Follow That Woman. Next Thursday, same time, Roma Wines will bring you Joseph Cotton as star of Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Produced by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. Next week, part of the country goes on daylight saving time. If your area remains on standard time, tune in suspense one hour earlier. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Okay, Dark Journey from April 25th, 1946, with Kathy Lewis and Nancy Kelly. Okay, uh, Don Ramlow, what what about that one? Well, I thought this one was kind of interesting, and it's fact that it was written with such a tight cast, just the two women, you really needed to have strong uh, people working together in order to make that even work in this particular case. And having Kathy Lewis, who is sometimes referred to uh, as our other people from suspense, as one of the queens of suspense, and then matching her up with Nancy Kelly created quite a nice uh, blend to kind of raise the tension there uh, in the show. I think uh, it's important to note that the one lead, Kathy Lewis, was married to the famous uh, director and actor, Elliot Lewis. Correct. Who did, did so many shows that were out there. And then what people might know, but some of them will if I mention this, is Nancy Kelly, who is the other uh, sister involved or friend involved. Uh, she was the mother on the famous movie, uh, The Bad Seed with Patty McCormick. 
Okay. I know that movie, but I had forgotten that Nancy Kelly is uh, Patty McCormick's mother in that. Okay. Um, exactly. So it's something to kind of move it forward and people uh, to put faces behind the characters uh, that were in the show. You know, yeah, again, yeah. this is not high in my list of uh, shows. Uh, I think it's fine and I enjoy it immensely, but I think some of her earlier classics. Uh, stand on a level all by themselves. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And because of um, the way we do things around here, we are going to have a poll for the listeners to vote on. Uh, it'll be on the website and Facebook and all that, and you're hearing it here, to vote on which of the 10 uh, Lucille Fletcher stories that we presented in the last 10 weeks, which of those is your favorite? So you can rank them and see see what the audience comes up with as what their favorite is. Are we supposed to vote now, too, or are we going to do that later? <laughs> yeah, we've gone through them all, so certainly we could do that. But uh, again, you know, uh, I appreciate you having taken the time uh, to devote a series of shows to Lucille because she truly was one of the greats when it came to writing radio plays. Okay, Her well, talent, I'm going to ask yeah. you which is your favorite. Uh, which is my favorite? Of the one, ones of the we one, played. Uh, of all her plays that she's done, um, I, still my favorite is The Search for Henri Lefebvre. And I think the reason for that is the horror comes out of the fact that this man having to deal with the loss of somebody he cared so mu much about that he actually made himself disappear to evolve all that pain. And so that always touched a chord with me. And so that for me is absolutely the number one show. Okay, well, I'll give my vote, and it's not for one of these. It's for The Hitchhiker. But but if I have to pick one of these, it would be Fugan C Minor with Vincent Price. So there we go. Now oh, I've influenced wow. the audience. <laughs> well, I'm sure that... Uh, They'll all have their own opinions about everything that we've of got course. out there. Of course. Well, we'll see how and that all comes out when we take the poll. Exactly correct. I'm looking forward to that. All right. Anything else on this particular show, or um, is that it for you? That's it for me, I think. All right. As promised, hinted, suggested, <laughs> everything I could do until we knew for sure it was going to happen, uh, Mr. Don Ramlow has provided us with a special 10-minute or so interview that he did with Miss Lucille Fletcher back in the 1980s, and uh, we are going to listen to that. So before we do that, uh, Don, is there a way you can set this up as to what this is and when it was done and where and why? And uh, just tell us about how it, ha how it all came about. She said that would be perfectly okay for her to be contacted, and then she did arrange to travel out to the Friends of Old Time Radio Convention in 1985, October to be exact, uh, of that year. And so she had a great time while she was there. Uh, another guest there was William M. Robeson of uh, Suspense fame and other many shows on CBS. And so she graciously agreed to let me sit down with her and uh, record an interview with her on various questions. Uh, with the uh, ability then to play for other people here in my community and elsewhere. So that's what led up to this. And it was quite a special treat for me actually meeting this very talented woman uh, in person back in 1985. All right. So you did the interview that we are about to hear some of. You did that at the Friends of Old Time Radio Convention? That is correct. Okay. 
in listening to it, I noticed that there's some kind of background noise. I'm not sure, was that located near an airport or a train station, or what is that sound that keeps roaring past during the interview? Well, you've got very good ears, and certainly <laughs> that was the uh, uh, sound of the Newark International Airport. That's uh-huh. there because <laughs> the convention was held at the Holiday Inn, uh, just uh, adjacent to the airport, and so periodically we'd get these jets flying by, even though we were in rooms with the windows closed and no other outside noise, you couldn't help but notice the planes as they were flying by. Yeah, well, I've been in Newark Airport many times, and it's a big, noisy airport, so I get it. I just wasn't sure if that's what I was hearing, but you've uh, you've confirmed that. But it's well worth listening straight through. Uh, it's quite interesting. You're a good interviewer, Mr. Don Ramlow, and you, do, you do a good job talking to her there. I wish we had more, but what we have is good. And so for all of the listeners who've been listening to this series, If you've heard all of the shows fairly recently, most of what's talked about here will be uh, something you can relate to very quickly. If you haven't, if if you've only heard one or two of this series, I recommend you kind of halt this podcast right now and go back and listen to all 10 of, or all nine of the previous ones so that when uh, Don and Lucille Fletcher start talking about these things, you'll have an idea what they're talking about. But anyway, that's just my recommendation. You can listen to it and you can follow probably most of it without doing that, but To be very fresh in your mind, that would be a good suggestion. Anyway, so we are going to give a listen to that, and then um, we'll have a couple wrap-up comments with Don, and we're good for this episode of the Good Old Days Radio Show, the very last one in our tribute to Miss Lucille Fletcher. So here we go with that, and back afterwards. Good evening, and welcome to my show, Interviews at Large. This is your host, Don Ramlow, and tonight it is my great pleasure to have Miss Lucille Fletcher Wallop, famed author, playwright, and television writer. Lucille, thank you for coming. I really appreciate you being here. It's a delight to be here. It's been a wonderful time. Well, it was a revelation to me to realize that so many people loved old-time radio, and that there were so many people here last night that knew all about what I'd done and, and what had happened in the past. They were experts. Well, of course, everybody knows you for sorry, wrong number, but not a lot of people realize that you did a large volume of radio plays and, in fact, a play for Broadway, I believe, that you wrote, or off-Broadway. It was Broadway. And then also movie work besides sorry, wrong number. For example, Blindfold by Claudia Cardinal and with Rock Hudson and also some other shows. Could you uh, give a brief background about how you became involved in writing back in the 30s when you were first starting to work in this field and how you started writing radio shows? Well, I got into radio simply because it was the only place where I could get a job. And during the Depression, I got out of college. I'd always written in college, and I won a few prizes as contests. I won a prize once that was a three-month trip around South America just for something I wrote, and a thousand bucks thrown in. My gosh, now if I might ask at this point, what was that type of a story, what was it? It was an an oration. Mm -hmm. It was an oratorical contest on the Constitution of the United States, very popular just before the crash. And newspapers all over the country paid enormous sums for this particular contest, which was nationwide and worldwide. And I won first place in New York City, and its vicinity, and then third place in the Washington contest. 
and we all traveled together for three months. It was fascinating. My gosh, that's one heck of a prize back then. It uh, certainly the was, group. yes. And then after you got back from that, you went to work for CBS, is that correct? After getting out of college, couldn't even get into Macy's basement. And finally, I found a job at, at CBS, $15 a week on Saturdays, and no overtime, uh, working in the typing department. And that's how I got into radio. I had never considered radio, but radio was young then. William Paley was about 27 years old, and all the people in it were young and enthusiastic. And it was really a fun environment. So you were working primarily in the typing pool. Yes. How did you go from just doing that to typing scripts of your own and everything? What, what gave you that impetus to uh, do that? Well, I, I moved up in the organization to the copyright department, and then I moved into the music library, because I have a big musical background. And then, I realized, and I wrote publicity, I moved into that, and uh, then I got married to a man that I met in the radio station, Bernard Herman, who was a struggling young uh, musician at that time, carrying music back and forth for the Johnny Green Band. And uh, we, we met and, and we got married, and after that I, I had to stay home and traveled with him. He became very successful, went to Hollywood, and I went with him. So it was a question of, of somehow Continuing my writing, I began to write radio scripts, which I'd learned about right, typing so many of them. And certainly that was a means of filling your time while, yes. while Bernard was off and doing all his work with movies and everything else. Well, he wasn't off doing his work. He worked entirely at home. But while the piano was bound, banging away in the next room, I retired to the typewriter. Now, how long did it take you to sell your first radio script? I mean, did you have to write quite a few before you finally got one accepted? or? No, I, the first one I wrote was The Hitchhiker. Which is very famous. And, and Benny at that time was uh, doing a, a show for Orson Welles, The Campbell Soup. It was a Mercury Theater on, on the air. <clears throat> and, and he knew Orson very well, and so he recommended it to Orson, who did it immediately. That was a lovely end, okay. I will say. So for a lot of people who might have thought that The Hitchhiker originally debuted on uh, Suspense and reality, it was for this other theater? Mercury Theater on the air, yeah. Okay. And that was the show, of course, that eventually became uh, famous for the War of the Worlds. Mm -hmm. And then he became, uh, then Orson was sponsored by Campbell Soup. Moving on from there, then you wrote quite a few plays, I know, for various shows over a period of time. I did. Could you name some of those? Well, I wrote another one for Orson Welles called A Search for Henri Lefebvre. It was mm -hmm. about a, a French musician. And I wrote Sorry, Wrong Number, which was about the seventh of the shows that I wrote. And a lot of my shows were done by really famous actors in those days. They got Vincent Price to do a show called Fugue in C Minor. And I believe that co-starred Ida Lupino with it them did, too at that yes, time. It yes, yes. And uh, Agnes Moorhead starred in another show of mine, this Diary of Sophronia Winters. Right, which uh, is the, one of the reasons that I finally contacted you, because in that show you made mention of Kalamazoo, Michigan as part of your plot line and I had to meet or talk at least to this woman who had used my hometown in Michigan as part of the backdrop for her play. Now you mentioned that I believe a late friend of yours that you went to college with was from Grand Rapids and had talked about this area and that was one of the reasons you mentioned it. Is That's that right. And she was a wonderful girl from Grand Rapids mm -hmm. who was my roommate for three years and then one day she was killed in a 
and on a horse, a horse had died. You always remembered those roots, oh, if you will, yeah. that she had told you about that, because certainly that stuck with me. Now, were most of your plays produced for suspense, or did, was there quite a few other programs that you worked with at that time? I did a couple for the Columbia Workshop under the direction of a very talented man named Irving Reese, who started the Columbia Workshop. But mostly it was for the Mercury Theater or Campbell Soup, and, uh, or Suspense. Mm -hmm. Suspense was, I, fe I felt right at home in, in the field of suspense, and I've been writing suspense ever since. Now, when these were all written, I asked you if you'd met all these famous people, but certainly many of your plays did have very famous actors and actresses involved with it. And from what you told me, you did not really get to meet many of the people involved with I your never plays. met any of them, except Orson. But he happened to be in, in Benny's world, because Benny did the music for his first picture, Citizen Kane, and several mm -hmm. other pictures after that. Now, you mentioned earlier to other people when I was around that Sorry Wrong Numbers had quite a large history and that uh, went from a radio play into many different... Uh, areas, uh, could you relate a little bit how it went to become a movie after having become a radio play, how it became a script for Barbara Stanwyck and Burt Lancaster? Well, it was listened to the second broadcast. The first broadcast there was a fluke, so they repeated the show two weeks later. And then it came to the attention of Dorothy Paley, Mrs. Paley, mm -hmm. time, and she recommended it to her friend Anatole Litvak, the director, Russian director, and he listened to it and loved it. And then he had an idea that he would like to do a picture with four suspense stories linked together in some way. That At that time, they were doing these multiple kind of an short anthology stories. Type yes. of and he wanted to buy Sorry Wrong Number for $2,000 and throw it in with others. And I said I wouldn't sell it that way. And I said I was sure that I could make a full-length feature film out of it. And he said, well, show me. So he gave me three months, and uh, I had two little baby girls at that time, and Benny was, I was still married to him, and it was really rather frantic. Frantic summer. Trying. But I did it. By, by September 1st, I turned it in. And you know, he made me wait till the 1st of January before he told me he liked it. And he bought it, of course. Mm -hmm. And then he resold it to uh, Hal Wallace for an enormous profit. But... I worked on the script with him after that uh, for some time. Originally, I wrote the leading part of, of The Husband for a, a sort of a weak type. I wrote it for Robert Taylor. Well, at the last minute, they decided not to put him in it, and they got Burt Lancaster instead. And Burt Lancaster, at that time and any time, could not fit the image. So his, I had to rewrite his part, and he suddenly became the son of a a drunken father and a poor mother and one of eight children <laughs> living in a shanty and working in a steel mill. <laughs> so that was absurd. I had to, you know, fix him all up. And I, I'd never seen Bert Lancaster. He was still a very young actor in pictures. And so they took me to see a picture of his called All My Son, which was one of his first. But I took one look at him, and I knew he wouldn't fit the image I had. Now, I think you mentioned that you did get a chance when you went to a restaurant, the store club, maybe, to meet Bert just once. Is just that correct? Just once, yes. Yes. What did you think of the movie after it had been produced? Did you uh, like it or not? Well, I, I, I loved it because I'd written it. And, of course, I think today it's, it's dated. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and it's also too complex, mm -hmm. the texture, because... 
Litvak wanted a motivation for the husband, and the, the motivation that I had was that he was in, got involved in, with the gangster. And the gangster sequence uh, was the only one that I had a terrible lot of trouble with, because I've never met any gangsters, and I had a hard time trying to write their dialogue. So Litvak said, I'll write it, and he did. <laughs> I mean, he toughened it up, I will say. I had the story thing and everything. I like the very end of the story where Bert Lancaster does call her. And he's trying to change. And he says, get out of your bed because he knows he's going to fry right. if she's murdered. Right. And that the jig is up. And he begs her and he's sweating in the telephone booth and she can't get out of bed because she's used her illness for so long. Right, that she's mentally incapacitated yes. to the point where she believes she's that yes, person. Yes, that's right. right. She really is almost paralyzed by bed rest. All right, that was very fascinating, and it's a real treat to be able to listen to someone who actually was part of vintage radio and a great part of vintage radio, someone who did really great writing, really great scripts. And there she is. You can hear hear it in her voice, all the talk about the, um, the suspense, uh, sorry, wrong number, and making it into a film and all that. Interesting that she calls her husband, uh, Bernard Herman, she, uh, her husband of the time, she calls him Benny. At first, I wasn't sure who Benny was, and then I realized, oh, she's talking about Bernard Herman, so she calls him Benny. I thought that was kind of fascinating. So, Don, what do you think? Well, I, I think that I wished I could have asked more questions or, or thought about asking more questions at the time. But to be honest, I was a little bit of in being in awe of such a talented woman giving me a few minutes of her time to interview her. You know, so certainly that was a special treat. And I learned a lot, you know, from her in the brief interview that I had and what a great talent she was. And as uh, uh, I later found out, she continued on writing for a while. Uh, on other things such as novels and stuff. So she was a very talented, very busy, busy uh, woman who was glad to share her talent with the world. Well, I'm happy that you are able to share this tape. Uh, I guess this is, is it only an audio or is there visual with this? Uh, there is some visual of it, but it is not of a great quality. Okay. Uh, given the uh, equipment that we had at the time when it was recorded. Uh, so... Uh, the video tends to be a little uh, typical of VHS tape uh, that's being run. So, you know, the vi the video quality wasn't that great, but the audio certainly was very worthwhile. And I was glad that I was able to get this information and, and archive it for the future. I'm glad that we have it and we could play it and we could let people hear a little bit of it because it's been a fascinating glimpse into um, her life and what she did. Okay, well, before you disappear... What are you doing? Are you writing a book? Are you doing anything these days related to old radio that we could tell people about? Absolutely. I'm doing a lot, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, last year, I put on a presentation uh, dealing with uh, the very talented Frank Lovejoy and his wife, Joan Banks. And I, I've been working on a book about suspense for many years. Uh, and so I, I'm very interested in gathering as much information as I can. I've been working for that over two decades as a matter of fact working Two on that decades on a suspense book wow okay and how yeah. how close are we to actually being able to read it the book is almost done as a matter of fact uh, it's only uh, getting the i've got a publisher in fact but i'm waiting to try to get clearances from the appropriate parties uh so that i can actually officially publish it 
because there's certain requirements made nowadays in order to publish books that have a breakdown of all of the uh, episodes and what they do. And so I'm just waiting for that uh, appropriate uh, permissions to clear. And then certainly I'll be bringing it out. And this also includes the uh, five years of the uh, suspense television series in addition to everything that was done on radio. So I'm, I'm real excited about that. And then uh, I'm going to be at the uh, Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention, and I and a researcher named Carl Shadow and Joe Webb, who I know you know, uh, are going to be putting on a major presentation about the very talented character actor Parley Bear. Uh, many people would know him from the radio show uh, Gunsmoke or as the next-door neighbor on Ozzy and Harriet you know, and those types of programs that he was on. And so we're going to be putting on a one-hour presentation about him. A lot of people don't realize he was a wild animal tamer, for example. Yeah, I didn't know that, but I did know him. He used to turn up at all the Pacific Pioneer broadcasters' luncheons and Spurdvac events and all that stuff. Uh, And interestingly enough, we had a a telephone call while we were were recording this, and uh, it actually turned out to be a wrong number, so that's very appropriate for... Uh, what we're talking yeah, about here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we so, might leave so that in. I don't know. We'll see. That'll be up to the producer, Daniel, as to how he wants yeah. to cut the show. But <laughs> and, and then the other thing is I'm going to be directing to radio recreations at the convention uh, in September also. And so I'm still keeping my hands on a lot of things, and I'm working with a group helping to uh, rescue and restore radio uh, shows when given the opportunity, something you're very deeply involved with. No, I do with. that almost every day, so yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, so, so you know, uh, radio to me is always going to be uh, something I'm uh, very, very proud of. It's given me uh, decades uh, of great pleasure over the years, as I know it has many other people like yourself. So, you know, this is something I'm absolutely going to have stay with me as long as I can. Well, I want to... Um Thank you for contributing your comments and all that to this series. It's been very helpful to me because I didn't know a lot about Lucille Fletcher, except that I really loved a lot of the plays that she wrote for radio. But you've provided and filled in a lot of gaps and things I didn't know, and it's been great having you here. And I hope when you get the suspense book done that you will let us know and we can play some suspense episodes. Maybe you can pick your your top five or something that you that you like and we'll, we'll top 10 or whatever and we'll do that and have you back as a guest again when your book is out and it'll help promote your book sounds great i would look forward to that certainly okay all right next time you hear this next uh, thursday we start a new series uh it's for october because uh, next next week is October, first week in October, and it's going to be a series all throughout October on the famous uh, radio, television, and film actor Boris Karloff, uh, famous for being the Frankenstein monster and all kinds of other crazy things. And so we're going to have some great radio shows featuring the great legendary Boris Karloff starting next week. So that's it. Uh, Check out the Good Old Days of Radio Show Facebook page and website. Uh, There'll be a poll on the top 10 Lucille Fletcher radio shows, and you can pick your favorite. And we will be back Tuesday with Comedy, Drama, and Variety, and next Thursday with the beginnings of our October salute to Boris Karloff, Boris Karloff Month, on the Good Old Days of Radio Show. So again, thanks to Don Ramlow for spending the last... 10 weeks with us talking about the great Lucille Fletcher. I uh, hope you all enjoyed this series, and I'll be back again next time. This is John Tefteller saying goodbye. Goodbye.